to be seated. Jesus, indeed, you have paid it all. And it is in your name that we gather this morning, having been cleansed by your precious blood, removing the stain of sin. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, if you would turn your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 4. Our study is going to pick up this morning in verse 23. Uh, we'll consider uh, verses 23 through 31 um, after we have first ask for God's grace uh, through prayer. Pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, we are thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in redeeming us from our sin. We need continued grace in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to illuminate the passage to our minds for our understanding. We need continued grace to inflame our hearts this morning in love and in thankfulness. We need continued grace this morning to engage our will to obey your word by faith. We pray this Lord's Day for all who are gathered throughout the region to worship you. I pray for the church at Wapato Valley this morning and specifically for Pastor Mike. I pray that you would give him gracious words, accurate proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this morning for all who are gathered there and here that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear while the Spirit is speaking to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen. As you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's inspired, inerrant word this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the, nation, did, did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you'll stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. You may be seated. The dot or the line. I used to ask youth group students a question. Are you living for the dot or are you living for the line? 
See, the dot is a fixed point in eternity, a fixed point that stands about 70 or 80 years for the most of us. Praise God that the dot is 93 years for a couple of folks in here, at least so far. But what is promised to us in Jesus is that for a cert certainty, life in the dot will be marked with trouble. He tells us for certain that life within the dot is going to be marked with trouble. But further, Jesus tells us that in our time of trouble in the dot, we can be of good cheer because he has conquered sin and death, securing for us eternal life that we are to embrace during our time here in the dot. Considering the trouble that we face in the dot and hour by hour, does it not seem that this trouble seems to be increasing? If we look at what's going on in the world, we, we can see that, that trouble seems to be increasing. Well, what is needed in this hour? What is needed in this hour of trouble? What ought we to pray for? How should we pray in such a way that it aligns with God and what He is doing in Jesus right now in this time of trouble? This time that we live, this time, our time in the dot. In this hour, the people of God should be unified in their understanding that in the dot, the troubles we face are in the sovereign will of God. He is in control this very hour. We need to get this. There's chaos outside of us. God is in control this very hour and in these troubles. He is in control in this hour and how this hour then does contribute to his eternal purposes. That this hour in God's sovereign hand continues to serve his eternal purposes. Our unified prayer in this hour is for confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit that we might speak with blunt, confident assurance, plainly, without ambiguity, that we have, of all that we have apprehended in Christ Jesus, He being our Lord and our Savior. Well, to get us back into the background of the last couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of backtrack just for a moment. In our previous gathering last week, we defined parahesia, the Greek word for boldness, being boldness as, as described in the context of our study is a blunt, confident assurance spoken plainly and without ambiguity. Boldness in proclamation of the gospel is born out of a deep conviction in the soul of a person who has apprehended its truth. It's confident assurance that the truth proclaimed by the one who is convinced of it, that that person, based on that confidence and that boldness, that that person is, 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 is confident in Jesus Christ's atoning death and his resurrection, and that all that we proclaim in boldness is pleasing to God. It's confident assurance that it is pleasing to God. The religious, political, and legal leadership in Jerusalem, they recognize this in 
Peter and John. They recognize that they have this blunt, confident assurance. And that they also recognize this, that, that Peter and John are, in a sense, this, this boldness that they witness is merely an imitation of the way that Jesus himself used to speak. And they kind of thought, well, we silenced him, didn't we? And yet here are Peter and John speaking with the same kind of boldness. And last week they said they recognized that they had, that they had been with Jesus. And what he means is not like, oh, brand new, we see that, that these guys have been, they knew that they had been with Jesus. But he's saying this sort of boldness with which they speak is reminiscent of what we witnessed in Jesus. And didn't we silence him? Didn't we shut him up? So, in order to please the people who had witnessed the miracle work that, that by proclaiming Jesus Christ and his name, the lame man gets up and he walks. And so, but they, they want to please uh, the people. So they can't really do to the disciples, to the apostles, what they want to do. Right? So they, they have to release him because they are uh, people pleasers. But they do insist this, cease and desist from speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. Cease and desist from proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. See, Peter and John respond to those charges, don't they, in, in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 4. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and we have heard. So they find no charge with which they can uh, keep them without displeasing all the people. So they release Peter and John and they admonish them, do not speak anymore in Jesus' name. This is an attempt to silence them. I wonder if you sense in our time Christians being silenced, or at least the attempt thereof, to silence us. Whether by fear or, I don't know, some sort of cowardice or whatever it might be, I think the church has often silenced themselves. But here we go. So this is where we're going to pick up our study. They've been told to be silent. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So Peter and John, they go and they report to those that, that they were really close to within that community. Uh, their friends. It's not going back and speaking to the whole 5,000 that have now been gathered to the church, but... To those close, those intimately acquainted, they come and they tell them uh, what had just happened. They've told us to be silent. The chief priests and now those of the Pharisees, the elders, along with all those who initiated their incarceration in the first place, want them silenced. Those of political and social influence want Christians silenced in this time. The leadership within the temple want them silenced. Those belonging to the governing authority of the temple, the captain and the scribes, they want the proclamation of Jesus Christ 
resurrected from the dead, silenced. They tell their friends, it's not expedient for us that the gospel be preached in these social circles. They have told us to be quiet. It's not considered politically correct to announce Jesus Christ risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. They want our mouths to remain closed. Even in our place of prayer, they would tell their friends, in our place of prayer and worship, it is forbidden to proclaim Jesus resurrected from the dead and what and, and to tell those people that the very temple where they worship, this is what that temple points to. We've been forbidden to speak that truth. They charge us to no longer preach that salvation is in His name and in His name alone, nor to preach Christ risen from the dead. Now all of that is to say this. Isn't this the way of humankind? Isn't this the way? The depravity that is inherent in fallen men wants the gospel to be silenced. Because you see, to announce Jesus resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, this is tantamount to saying, there is one Lord and there is one master over all of humanity. And his name is Jesus. You are not the ruler of your own life. Men would say, silence that sort of talk, because I will not have anyone rule over me. I will not have that man, Jesus, you proclaim, rule over me. I am the ruler, right? In human depravity, that is the thing. Silence that sort of talk. There's one master over all of humanity and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the man's, the natural man's response is that. The natural man's response. My response to that prior to God doing a work in me was just that. I will not have anyone rule over me. I will not have that man rule over me. See, in our day and in our culture, it is not illegal to preach the gospel, yet we are told to be silent everywhere we look. And we remain silent sometimes, I think, because it's not politically correct to speak the gospel. Christians are societally maligned for being narrow-minded bigots because we say that Jesus resurrected and ascended is the Lord and master of all. And since he is the Lord and master of all, he sets the standard for moral perfection. You don't get to live any way you want to. When we proclaim Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, what does it say to the natural man? He's ascended to heaven. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords and He is the ruler. I no longer in my own moral compass. The moral compass is Him. He is the standard. What He says is how I must live. And so societally we say, oh no, Christians, they, they are narrow-minded bigots because they claim this Jesus resurrected and ascended and they say that he is the master of all and, and they say that he sets a standard for moral perfection and that it's not anything goes and that, 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 uh, it's not in me to decide what is good and what is 
wrong. It is God who decides what is right. Like these early Christians, so we are today in this postmodern era. We are told to be silent. We are called irrelevant. And we are said to be on the wrong side of history. What would the new community do in the face of this opposition? This is, remember, this is a brand new community of believers who have been just newly converted. And, and here they are in this opposition and they are told to be silenced by everyone that they would have naturally respected, right? Temple leadership, the, those of political and social influence have said, be silent. Speak no more in the name of Jesus. Speak not this truth of the gospel as you know it. What would they do in face of this opposition? I could think of lots of things that are sort of natural to do when you're told these kinds of things. They could have, would they abandon their new life? Would they cower in fear? What would mark them? Well, what marked Peter and John's friends is one of the marks that we think about in a healthy church. Unity. Notice verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. When they heard the command or the, the sense that they were told to be silent, what marked them first? With one voice, the friends declared a unified dependence upon God. And they did so in prayer. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Our text reads that they raised their voices together and it's rendered this way, not meaning that all people spoke the same words at the same time, but they were of one heart of one mind as one voice lifted petition to God. One of the marks of the church is that we are called to reflect the nature and the character of God. And see, disunity in the church tells a lie about God, doesn't it? Disunity in the church tells a lie about God. It says that God uh, is not united in himself. And the scriptures teach us that the Lord our God is one God. Paul exhorts the church in Corinth with a question. Is Christ divided? The friends of Peter in response to the charge to be silent, in response of, of being marginalized in society, is with one voice to lift their cause to God. Unity for unity's sake is not the aim here. Throughout the book of Acts, this church uh, the church began to demonstrate unity. Acts 1.14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts 5.12, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Acts 15.25, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Paul calls the Roman church to be united, unified in prayer. Romans 15.6 says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But they, but they, they were united in truth. You see, we're going to see they were united in truth. In the truth, especially the truth about the one to whom they are about to carry their petition. See, they begin here. Their response is, and when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're united in prayer according to the nature of God. First thing you do is mention the nature of God. They lifted their voice and said, Sovereign Lord. They pray with one voice to the God who is in control and in humble dependence of the God who is in control, knowing that it is Him who has the right to rule and reign. It is him who needs to exercise control, the, the control of all these situations that they are facing. We appeal our cause to God who has all rights to everything in the created world since he is the creator God. That's, that's what they're saying here in this passage. There is some ruling authority, whatever it is that's going on in the world, right? This societal rule and those kinds of things. They say, we are appealing to a higher Authority to the highest authority. We are appealing to the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control, right? The one who is fully in control. Since he is the creator God, he has all the rights. We're not going to God and, and pleading our rights here, right? They're not pleading their rights. They are pleading with the God who has all rights. Sovereign Lord, you are in control. Throughout the scriptures, the expression of God's sovereignty is the language of his control over creation. Two examples from the Old Testament using similar language to our passage. Psalm 146.6 says, Who made heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them? Who keeps faith forever? And Isaiah 37.16 O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. The appeal in heaven is to the sovereign Lord from those even who have died for their faith. When we read Revelation 6, and we see the saints who have been martyred, and they look upon all the things that are going on in the world, they appeal to the one who is in control. Could you imagine that, that if we were in heaven and we had a heaven's eye view of what was going on on the earth and, and to God's church, do you think we would think, oh my goodness, that is chaotic, right? It's out of control. But notice that the saints who have died for their faith, when they are in heaven, they cry out in testimony that God is in control. In Revelation 6, 9 and 10, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Peter and John's friends, when they are faced with being silenced by those who are in control in society, politically, judicially, is to appeal to the highest power, sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. 
The sovereign Lord and creator God is the God also of foreknowledge. The charge to be silent. The attempt to thwart the advancement of the kingdom of God is no surprise to the sovereign Lord. And in fact, he forecasted it. It is the same old rage in any age. That which we are living now is the same old rage in any age. I will not have that man rule over me. That's the rage of the age. That is the rage of the age, even today. The silent theme of our passage is this. It is futile to scheme against God, who is sovereign over the world that he created, and he also foresaw the schemes of men. It's futile. It's futile to try to thwart the purposes of God, to silent God, to thwart His purposes. Notice, He's sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The quotation here of Psalm 2 is an inescapable connection to Jesus Christ from the greater than David, the servant of God. The rulers who would attempt to silence the apostles Peter and John in the church are raging against God himself and raging against his anointed, the Messiah, the, be the begotten Son of God. The quotation of Psalm 2 serves to expand upon a simplified statement that we already heard earlier in the book of Acts. Earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. By the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit spoke of the plots of men to come against the Lord and His anointed. These plots were in vain. These plots were in vain because God raised up the anointed. God raised up the anointed one of whom David speaks. Listen to what Acts 13.33 says, quoting also Psalm 2. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These verses here are very reminiscent of what we studied in chapter 2, uh, verses 22 through 24 in Peter's uh, Pentecost sermon, aren't they? He says this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It is futile to scheme against God who is sovereign over the world he created, who not only foresees the schemes of men, but in his foreknowledge, anything that comes to pass is according to his will and his plan. 
So while those who are seemingly have control here in Jewish society, those who seemingly are in control politically and in temple worship, their plans would only ever come to pass because God had so foreordained them to do so. We will only be silenced by anyone if the sovereign Lord to whom we pray allows it. This is how confident they are in who they are going to. So we in unity respond to the threats of the chief priests and the elders in dependent prayer, knowing that it is futile for them to scheme against God. Herod and Pilate's scheme to silence Jesus along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel was in vain. Although it brought about his death, God had ordained his death. It was his will to crush him, to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. And God loosed the pangs of death by raising his anointed one from the dead. And now to the sovereign Lord, we lift up our condition to you, they say. The apostles and friends with unity of prayer lift up one voice and they lift their petition. So they haven't begun to pray yet. I mean, they pray, they, they, they've cast their care, they know where they're going, right? And according to the character of the one that they are pleading with, but here comes their specific petition. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We should notice something here in this passage. And I didn't notice it right away. It took a couple of days of reading, you know, and praying and thinking it through. But, but we should notice something, that this prayer is not asking God to remove the threat. They don't ask for God to remove the threat. They don't ask that the opposition that they're facing be removed. He says, look upon their threats and give us boldness. Give us blunt, confident assurance to speak your word plainly and without ambiguity. While you continue, continue to do what your hand has purposed to do in healing, confirming our words as you, O God, perform signs and wonders in the mighty name of the greater than David, your holy servant, the begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is what they ask for. I often think about the, the things that are going on in the world, you know, and, 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 and the Christian response is often, you know, what we're against, what we are opposed to. Let's start praying about what we're opposed to. We're opposed to this group and we're opposed to that group. That group is opposed to us. God, would you just strike them down? Would you punish them? Would you do whatever it is to remove this, this, this trouble in our lives, this which is distracting us or this which is binding us? And, and notice that their prayer here is not about that at all. Their prayer there is, God, work in us boldness that we are where we are here in this crisis. Give us bold words to speak confidently concerning Jesus. And give us no concern of ourselves, but give us concern for your kingdom. See, I think that this prayer is right in line uh, with this prayer. Father in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use us, Father, as willing instruments for your purpose. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of threats and opposition. Help us, Lord, to speak bluntly, with blunt confidence, assurance of the truth of Jesus Christ's death for us, of His resurrection, of His ascension into heaven as both Lord and Master. Just as the Father filled Peter with boldness of the Holy Spirit, give us utterances when we are questioned, just like they were questioned uh, when they uh, were questioned by the council in, in chapter 4, verse 8 and following. We too pray for a spirit uh, filling us, to embolden us to speak as you desire when and how we ought to. This is their prayer. I love this. It's given me perspective on my own prayer life. Right? Praying against things. Instead of praying that God would make me obedient. That He would use me as His servant in this time. No matter what the troubles are. Right? Not that we don't speak out against things that are evil. Right? We ought to do that. Right? I'm not saying don't ever do that. But I'm saying that if it is, is happening, it is in the sovereign will of God that it is happening. Would we want to find ourselves praying against the sovereign will of God? I would think not. I think what we want to do is say, God, use us as your instrument in this time. Whatever that looks like. In the midst of trouble and opposition, use me to be an instrument for your kingdom work. I think that's a prayer that definitely will all line up with the will of God, right? I think for sure it will. Let's look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, God made His presence known among those who prayed in unity. He made His presence known. The earth shook. God said, I'm here. I am present with you in this hour of trouble. Made himself known to them. I'm present. Things might be chaotic all around you, but I am in control and I am present. I am with you. The earth shook. Just as in Isaiah 6.4, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. There in Isaiah 6, as, as the foundations uh, shook, as the earthquake happened, the voice of him who called, well, the, the house was filled with smoke. Something of the presence of God was there. And these, they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke then as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were equipped and emboldened to be an instrument through which the Spirit would speak the word of truth and God's hand would continue to confirm the word that they preached. As a conclusion, as American Christians, I think, we're probably all painfully aware of this. As American Christians, the governing authorities want to silence us and our Christian worldview. Societally, it is not expedient to proclaim the narrow way of salvation in Jesus Christ nor to proclaim that there is but one Lord and Master. See, guys, it is not politically expedient. Society is not going to love you for it. 
You're not going to be thought well of by your peers. It's politically incorrect and considered intellectually foolish to proclaim allegiance to Jesus Christ risen from the dead or to believe that the Bible is the source of all truth. The powers that be and those who seemingly are in control desire that the Christian would just remain silent and go away. The nations still rage and they still plot to silence the testimony of Christ in us. They gather themselves in opposition to the Lord as master and against his people. Now, how is it that we are going to respond to a world that wants to silence us, that wants to marginalize us, that wants to marginalize Christ and wants to marginalize his people? How will we respond in this hour? Will we shrink back? Will we listen to the rage and the plots and will we just silence ourselves? I'm afraid that that's what most of the evangelical world has done. Just silenced ourselves. It's not illegal to preach the gospel, is it? Anybody tell me of a law where it's illegal to preach the gospel? No, it is not illegal. It's not illegal to preach the gospel. Yet, for the most part, the church is silent. The church has, has allowed this societal silencing. We've just taken it. I wonder if we wouldn't, as the church that gathers at Spring Hill, that we wouldn't respond to the, to the plot to silence our testimony of Jesus, that, that we would in unity uh, pray to the authority that is greater than this world system, that we would ask God and trust that the sovereign Lord is in control in this chaotic world, that we would trust that it is futile to scheme against God who created the universe and that he knows and foresaw the scheming of man against his Christ and he foresaw and know the schemes of the people who plot today against his people. In response to the world's call to silence the voice of the church, let us unite in prayer to the sovereign Lord. Let us with one voice pray that God would fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit and give us boldness, blunt, confident assurance, and that we might ask God, I just think I, I really, really want us to pray this because as I was praying this, I just, I just have this sense in my spirit that God would totally honor this prayer. God, would you use us as instruments to speak the gospel clearly and without ambiguity. And God, would you confirm to us your presence with us as you said in the Great Commission that lo, you will be with us to the end of the age. Will you confirm that in us as we preach the gospel, as we become your instruments to bring about what it is that you have foreordained to come to pass? Will you use us for that purpose? Will you fill us afresh with your spirit that we might speak the truth clearly, the gospel without ambiguity and that by your hand, the miracle of salvation would happen in our communities, that you would just save souls as you use us as an instrument of your righteousness. Would you fill us with the spirit that we might boldly proclaim? I, I just, I bet that if we prayed that in unity, that it is a, a, a it's almost a certainty that God wants to answer that prayer. 
He wants to answer that prayer. I mean, I, I sense it deep in my soul that he wants us to pray that. He wants us to pray that. And he wants to use us as his instruments and that we need to be confident that he is in control. God is sovereign over all of this that's going on. And all the chaos and the trouble, again, in Revelation, I think one of the points of Revelation is this. It's a big question. They ask, who will be able to stand in, this, in times of trouble? Who will be able to stand? Maybe we be those who can boldly say, if you are in Christ, you will be made to stand. And you will only stand if you stand in Him. Amen?